0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. Hey, what's up, everybody? name's Chase Krauss. Welcome to Catholics with Bibles. Happy Thursday to you if you're listening to this on Thursday when we release our episodes. Hope you're having a fantastic week so far. Y'all, it is hot. We're here in Central Texas, Austin, And, man, y'all, it is like 100 million-plus degrees outside. And I'm straight dying every time I walk outside. But maybe it's cooler where you live. I hope so. I hope you're hanging in there in this heat. Um, But you know what? It's a beautiful thing. Seasons are great. Um, I have to remind myself to be thankful because it is not always hot. Sometimes it's really cold. Um, And then I find some other reason to complain. So, Lord, help me. I complain too much, probably. Uh, So we are plugging away here with first... Thessalonians. Today we're in chapter 4. Uh, goal is get through verses 1 through 12. Uh, so no idea how long it's going to take. Um, odds are it's going to take our usual 20-30 minutes because there actually there's a decent amount here in this first half. But the reason I split it up is because of the second half of chapter 4, uh, 13 onward, uh, it's more dense theologically. So I don't want to have to rush that. I don't want to try to get the whole chapter and get rushed. Um, I'd rather just kind of take it slow. So if this episode's a little bit shorter, that's okay. So chapter four is really the the meat and potatoes of this short letter. It's only only five chapters, right? That's why this Bible study we're going to do first and second Thessalonians. So chapter four, we're getting some meat and potatoes stuff. Because every time Paul writes a letter, you know, at least in the New Testament, he is writing it not just to say, "Hey, what up? What good? What's cracking?" Um, he's writing it to to address certain issues that need to be addressed. Um, and so, and think about in, in his letter to the Romans, why is he writing the letter? He's writing it as a way of introduction, but also he had heard various uh, arguments amongst the Jew and Gentile community in Rome, and he wanted to kind of lay some groundwork for for his, both his teaching, but also to help them live mutually in love, even if. You know, you you were a Jew or a Gentile first before converting to Christianity in your baptism. So in First Thessalonians, most of this letter so far, uh, chapters 1 through 3, Paul has been recounting his experience with the Thessalonicans, or, you know, talking about after he left what he did, what he'd heard from Timothy and all these things. In chapter 4, he it takes a bit more of a, of a solemn tone. Uh, he gets a little bit more serious with his... Thessalonican brothers and sisters, and he's addressing uh, presumably issues that Timothy brought to him. So in verses one through 13, the main issue is going to be holiness primarily. So it's it's a life pleasing to God, a life of holiness, but more specifically in the realm of uh, sexuality. So odds are that Timothy, while bringing back mostly good news to Paul, I mean, Paul and elsewhere in the letter like we've been talking about, he had been rejoicing over uh, various things he had heard about the Thessalonians from Timothy. But presumably, Timothy also brought back word of people struggling with uh, sexual immorality, adultery um, in the Greek, which is our Greek word of the day. The word is pornēia. So the word pornea in Greek is specifically sexual immorality. Um, it's where the word pornography comes from, porn comes from. Uh, it's sexual immorality. Um, so pornéa is that Greek word of the day. It's a really important word because some translations, and if you're using the NAB, that translation is going to interpret that as like all immorality, and that's and that's not what that word means. Porneia is, is specifically sexual immorality. Um, so in, in this uh, passage, if you're using an NAB Bible, my translation is going to sound pretty drastically different than your Bible. Um, I'm using the ESV, which is a more literal interpretation. And arguably, I, I think it's a better interpretation in this case in particular. Um, and those arguments can be made about the, the NAB versus RSV versus ESV. Um, but I, I really enjoy the ESV's kind of a more literal approach to this passage because I think it's more true to the text. It's more true to what to what Paul was trying to say. The RSV is pretty good as well. Um, it's more true to the text, and it's, it's you know, I think, I think it's just more on par to what Paul was actually trying to communicate to the Thessalonians, and so if I'm reading this, if you're using the NAB, and you're trying to follow along, and you're totally, if it, the words are totally different, hopefully I can explain why that is. Uh, if not, feel free, uh, you can always shoot me an email, shoot me a message, hope I can clarify that for you, uh, but if you're using the RSV, the ESV, uh, it's probably gonna be pretty close. If you're driving and listening to this in your car, and you're totally not reading the Bible, then you won't know any difference. And I'm going to talk about it anyway. So <laughs> we're going to get into it. Uh, so we're going to start here. Chapter four, verse one. Finally, then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more for, you know, what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards not man, but God. Wait, sorry. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. I'm gonna pause there real quick. Um, Okay, so we can... First of all, start off by that word finally, then brothers, uh, better translated as so then brothers, um, because Paul is not like wrapping up the letter. It finally can be addressed as like, oh, hey, this is it. We're wrapping up the letter. Um, and technically, there's only one more chapter after this, but this is not um, something you can just, it's not like the end of the chapter, end of the letter. It's more of a so then brothers. But anyway, finally doesn't exactly like totally mess up the meaning. Uh, but it can also be translated as "so then, brother. So, just moving on to the next point. So, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So, Paul's starting off here, uh, affirming that what the Thessalonicans are doing is good. I mean, they're, they're I mean, the whole letter he's praising them basically because they're they're keeping the faith, they're striving for holiness. They're being faithful to the word that they had heard from Paul about our risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's affirming that, but at the same time, he's also telling them, you're not done growing yet. You need to keep going, keep growing. One of the things that's always a temptation for Catholics or Christians, I don't care who you are, anybody who's following the Lord is to think you're done, but in the spiritual life, there's only two options. You're either going forward or backwards. There is no standing still in the spiritual life because if you intentionally choose to stand still, you're choosing to go backwards. I mean, looking at it, it's easier to look at that in view of a relationship. You know, if you're married, this make more sense to you. If you're not, you can you can still get the gist. If you're married, say you've been married 10 years, and on your 10-year anniversary, you turn to your wife or your husband and like, hey, we're in a pretty good spot. Uh, I'm gonna stop working on a relationship now. Uh, we're not gonna go on any more dates. We're not gonna, you know, no more presents or anything. I think we're good. We're at a good point. It's been 10 years. I know you, you know me. This is great. We're gonna pause now and uh, just keep, keep things where they're at. <laughs> Anybody, when you put it in that perspective, knows that it, that's not how relationships work. You have to keep working at them you have to keep being intentional with them you have to keep putting yourself out there to love and hopefully be loved in return wounds come when we put ourselves out there to be loved and we don't get a response from our beloved right because they're sinners right they're sinful and they're weak just like you and me and the hard part is to not let those wounds of unreciprocated love turn into a callous right towards our beloved so paul telling the Thessalonians that they're doing great. You're doing, they're doing really, really good, but they're not done yet. You're not done growing in the spiritual life till the day you die and you meet our Lord Jesus Christ. And even then, you know, if you die in the state of grace and, you know, you reach that unitive way and, you know, if you die a saint, then awesome going to heaven, done, done growing in, in certain sense, you're gonna be filled for eternity in heaven. Uh, so you're gonna keep growing in your knowledge of God there. Uh, but if, you know, you sign a state of grace, uh, but you still have a lot of work on, you're going to go to purgatory and it's at that pain. Gonna, that's going to hurt. Right. Purgatory is such a grace is not a, you know, a chapter on purgatory or anything. But uh, purgatory is not some evil, barbaric thing that God you know puts on us. If you think about it in a certain sense, you know, heaven is perfect. Therefore, to enter into heaven, you must be perfect. And if you die in a state of imperfection yet in a state of grace, purgatory can help purge you of all those imperfections to empower you to live in heaven. So, purgatory is actually a, an incredible mercy of God. Um, nothing that it is, should be frowned upon or like, you know, totally, uh, you know, uh, thinking that God's some kind of mean dude for sending people to purgatory. It's actually a gift. Um, but uh, in this life, we're called to not shoot for purgatory. We're called to shoot for heaven. And so to, to get our purgation out of the way in this life. Uh, so, turning turn back to chapter four here, verse two For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So just real quick, these aren't just his instructions. This is the Lord Jesus' instructions. And, and real quick, uh, this word for instructions, it's parangelias in Greek, parangelias, And so that's actually more closely related to military orders or like legal words. So basically, it, it's a military order it's translated instructions here because military orders would just kind of of sound weird. we kind of miss the point, but in the Greek, it's it's pretty clear. These are not optional instructions. If you've ever been in the military or know somebody's in the military, when your commanding officer tells you to do something, you do it, right? I mean, there's no questioning. There's no back talking, There's no saying, I don't want to, you know, you do it, right? And, And obviously as a Catholic, we would have to go into that because we would never, if somebody asked you to sin, you, you would have then the right to say no. Um, but, you know, if it's not sin, if, if you're in the military, if your commanding officer tells you to do something, you do it or you're going to get court-martialed or, like, shot, right? Um, the, it's a big deal. You You obey your commanding officer. And so the instructions that Paul gave and is about to reiterate are from the Lord Jesus, which means they're not optional. They're not things you can pick and choose. As Americans, man, we're, we're so good at rationalizing. We're so good at having this hyper-independency that we think everything is optional. And that's just not the case. There are commandments of God that are not optional. Going to Mass on Sunday, as long as you're allowed to, obviously, most of us have a dispensation right now because of the whole COVID thing, but keeping the Lord's Day holy is not an option. Even if you're not going to Mass on Sunday, you should be doing something on Sundays to keep the Lord's Day holy. It's a day of rest. It's a day for the Lord. Keep holy the Sabbath, right, in the Old Testament. That's a moral, as in the Ten Commandments, that's a moral law. It didn't change with the New Testament. There are certain things in our faith that are not optional. And we have to get that through our thick skulls, because as Americans man, we're so good at justifying and rationalizing and being hyper-independent and being those cafeteria Catholics. And hopefully if you're listening to this, you're, you're trying not to be a cafeteria Catholic. You're not trying to pick and choose which commandments, which things you want to do or not do, which are just convenient for you and which are not convenient for you. Uh, that's the mark of a true disciple. It, it's make sure you're living out all of the commandments and then striving to live out the ones that are optional or that are just growing in virtue and holiness, Right. Uh, Jesus never said, um, do the dishes when your mom asks you to do the dishes, right? Or your husband or spouse or whatever asks you to do the dishes. But he does say, honor your father and mother. He does say, uh, wives submit to your husbands, husbands uh, lay down your life for your wife as Christ did for his church. And so those are the ways, those extra ways where it's like on paper, no, Jesus never said, do the dishes or you're going to go to hell. But that's the way we go above and beyond, right? To serve, to love, to grow as Christians. So everything he's about to reiterate, not an option. Jesus said so himself. Verse three, for this is the will of God, your sanctification or your holiness. It's the same word. It can be translated either way. I like them both. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you uh so real quick uh, just a bit of history in Greco-Roman society uh, sexual license was was a reality for for men in particular so uh, the rule of thumb was freed men if they had uh, sexual relationships with uh, s- female slaves, especially if they owned the slaves or prostitutes. Um, it was not considered adultery legally, right. So they could be married. And if it, depending on the woman's social class, social standing, social rank, was going to, that was going to be the deciding factor at whether or not it was considered uh, adultery um, to have sexual relationships with her if it was a free man. And, and if it was a free woman though, and if she was married in particular, then it was considered adultery. Um, once again, depend on the rank, depend on the class, but legally, um, if you were married, your wife couldn't do anything legally or her, you know, more actually really to be more specific, your wife's father or brothers couldn't do anything legally um, and also the slaves fathers and brothers couldn't do anything legally if you were a free man and the other woman that you had sexual relationships was uh, your slave a slave or just a woman of low rank and we have to kind of know this in context because this especially for the gentile converts we have to assume was incredibly difficult in coming into the faith because coming into the faith we know, obviously, uh, that sexuality, sexual relationships is saved for marriage. You are united to uh, one man or one woman, and that's it for the rest of your life or you know, until uh, you or them uh, pass away. And for the Gentiles coming into the faith who didn't have these restrictions, you can imagine that this might have been a, a really a big struggle for them. Right? This might have been something they really had to wrestle with to control themselves. And Paul, once again, we're assuming that he heard something from Timothy. Right, That's why he's bringing it. He's not just bringing it up nonchalantly. Um, so he's hearing something. He had heard something from Timothy, so he needed to address this. Um, interesting thing here is that verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctify- sanctification. And he speaks in the negative sense. To be holy means that you abstain from sexual immorality, right? That's like the, that's like the baseline, right? And so it's, and it's interesting when you look at like the seven deadly sins, lust is actually considered the uh, lowest of the deadly sins, pride being the highest. Why? It uh, depends who you read, but um, a couple of the uh, theories that I've, i like, and I think makes sense is one lust tends to be the most obvious, right? Sexual immorality tends to be the most obvious for obvious reasons, but also because lust is the closest linked to uh, love, your desire and union, um, and so the baseline thing, right? And I think for a lot of us who are, are reverts or converts, just like the Thessalonians, that is one of the first things that's going to be really just in your face if you struggled with it. For those who struggle with like a pornography addiction or uh, sexual relations outside of marriage before their reversion or conversion. This is something that's going to be extremely in your face present when you're trying to follow Jesus. And so Paul's talking about here. So, you want to be holy? All right, first thing you got to do, abstain from sexual immorality. That's that word, pornea. Abstain from sexual immorality. And that's something that's not easy, right? And and if you're a man or a woman who struggles with uh, pornography, um, Strive 22, I think it's called Strive 22, or Strive 21, Strive 21, uh, is Matt Frad's. really great organization that help you uh, overcome that addiction um, and if you are struggling with you know a relationship outside of marriage right now, whether you're married or not married, um, I encourage you uh, go to confession I mean if, either way, go to confession it's the sacraments Jesus and the present sacrament is your best and strongest weapon but do not leave those sins hidden. Tell your confessor, find an accountability partner because satan wants you to keep it hidden he wants you to keep it silent he wants to shame you and because if he isolates you he can attack you don't stay in isolation so he has a negative definition of holiness namely if you want to be holy you abstain from sexual immorality and so verse four it's it's an interesting translation some translations and if you have an nab you're going to see this translate this verse uh he basically says that each one of you know how to take a wife for himself. Uh, that's a, I don't agree with that translation. It's a lot of, a lot of transition it. Um, ESV doesn't have it. My translation is that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. So the reason for my translation and RSV's translations and other people is because the, uh, there's the word, uh, skeos skeos skeuos, skeuos. <laughs> um when oh there's like three vowels next to each other Skeuos, and some translations interpret that as wife but it's actually it's the word for vessels so he's speaking of holiness here but holiness in the old testament was usually talked about to to keep items holy to make yourself holy for temple worship So holiness in the literal sense was uh, to be set apart. You were holy if you were set apart. Set apart for what? Set apart for worship of God. So a vessel was holy if it's set apart for the worship of God. Think of the candelabras and the altar and and the temple and and various other things. Uh, the, The sacred, the holy bread, bread of the presence, bread of the face. And those set apart for the worship of God in the temple. And so... This whole thing is talking about, Paul's talking about holiness, right? This is the will of God, your sanctification. He has a negative uh, definition, which is abstaining from sexual immorality. And his positive one is that you control your own body or your own vessels because your vessels are holy now. They're set apart for the worship of God because you've been baptized. That's the logic here, right? So uh, not a fan of the translation of wife. There's, there are other arguments for it. There's other places where, uh, like in, I think it's First Peter, um, Nathan Eubanks talks about um, where uh, he, that's translated wife, but it's only because the, the husbands are also translated, uh, the vessels ostracized the husband and wife. So anyway, if you want more of a deep dive into this particular verse, once again, get that commentary from Nathan Eubank. He does a really good job breaking it down. But the whole point of it is we're talking about holiness, and the, the goal to be holy is, one, abstain from sexual immorality, two, control your body, master yourself. And that's gonna you have to cooperate with grace. It's not like a lacy reboot straps and do it yourself. It's no, it's lacey reboot straps with the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to teach you how to lace your reboot straps and let the Holy Spirit guide you and move in you and work in you. Right? So control your own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress the wrong, no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things. So in, in, in antiquity, adultery was viewed more as a sin against the wife's father and brothers than against the wife itself. Obviously, we that's grown and change. Um, Paul is isn't saying that that's, that the woman is not culpable, but he he's speaking in context, historical context. So that's what he's talking about here: that you may not wrong his brother in this matter. So, namely, if you um, have sexual relationships with a free woman or any woman, really. Um, it's not just he doesn't. Paul doesn't distinguish like free and un, and and slave women. It's any woman. If you have sexual relations outside of marriage, that's adultery. That's sexual immorality. That's pornea, and therefore you have wronged not only that woman but also her family. And so, verse seven. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Right in holiness, God didn't call you to live a life that you just do whatever you want to in impurity. God has called you, and therefore you are set apart for the worship of God. You are a holy, sacred vessel set apart for the worship of God because you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. You are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse eight, therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. To a certain point, I think uh, common sense dictates, and your reason can dictate why adultery shouldn't be allowed in a society. I think Aristotle even talks about this. There's there's Greek Stoics that talk about this, that that self-control is is needed uh, to run a good society. Why? Because if everybody's going around sleeping with other people's wives, um, there can be tension, there can be conflict within the city, if there's conflict within the city, there could be revolts and and fights, and that's not good for the city. Uh, So to a certain extent, I think your reason can get you there. But Paul's saying here, This isn't just about being a reasonable guy. This is a commandment from God, right? This is a commandment from God that you live in holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And y'all, I I know this can be a struggle. I know, I know, I know it can be a struggle. I struggled with this for a long, long time from like junior high uh, through uh, high school. I struggled with like pornography, but then I got into, I replaced pornography with really bad relationships with women, uh, before I had my reversion in college you know I had a girlfriend that basically lived with me I understand how hard how stupid hard this can be but praise God after my after my reversion after I really came into the faith I was never an atheist I was always like quote Catholic you know what I'm saying you can't see me I'm doing air quotes Catholic um but when I really came into the faith and the Holy Spirit just broke into my heart he he gave me the grace to overcome it doesn't mean I wasn't tempted it doesn't mean the struggle. Uh, wasn't very much real at certain points. But praise God, and through the grace of God, we can overcome and we can win this battle, y'all. And it is a battle. And maybe for you, it's not one right now. Maybe it never has been. You have other things you struggle with. But if you're listening to this and you are really struggling with sexual immorality of whatever, whatever kind, know you're not alone and know there's people who love and support you. Go to confession, run to Jesus in the sacraments, Stick to the word of God. Stick to prayer, and He will help you. I promise. It doesn't mean it's not going to be a fight. It doesn't mean it's not going to be a struggle. But cling to the sacraments. Cling to the Eucharist. Cling to confession. Uh, so let's finish up this section real quick. Verse nine. Now concerning brotherly love, have no need for anyone to write to you. you. Have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. All right, so once again, Paul's affirming that, you know, they're pretty good. They, they have that brotherly love, um, you know, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, um, <laughs> uh, philia, that's brotherly love, it's a type of love uh, in the Greek language brotherly love, uh, fraternal love. And Paul's affirming that you're doing, you do really good. You love your community really, really well. um, And just keep growing in it. Do it more and more. Don't think you've settled. Don't think you've made it. You can always grow. Uh, And so verse 11, we get into aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Mind your own affairs. You know, that's tough for a lot of people. Mind your own beeswax, right? Mind your own business, your, your other people's business is not your own. When you see somebody else, you know, maybe you think they're, they're doing a sinful thing. Uh, maybe you think it's at least imperfection. Mind your own business. Saints resolution actually just make it, make an excuse for them. Make up an excuse for them. If somebody is um, maybe a little bit short with you, maybe they're, uh, you know, they're coming off kind of gruff, make up an excuse for them. Say, oh man, they must have, Not slept well last night. Make up an excuse for your brothers so that way you do not hold them accountable because you're not the one that needs to hold them accountable. It's God. So mind your own beeswax. Don't gossip about people. Don't talk about people. Mind your business. Literally, the Holy Spirit through scripture, through St. Paul, is telling you to do it. So if you struggle with gossip, if you struggle with always being on social media because you want to know what everybody else is doing all the time, if you struggle with comparing yourself, Invite the Holy Spirit into that wound, whatever that wound is. Know that you are loved and you are accepted and you are enough. And mind your own beeswax. Um, and mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So basically Paul's saying here uh, to, to work, to earn a living, so that other people who aren't Christians might see how hard you work and how well you work and be inspired by you be right. inspired by you that's, that's a question you can ask yourself is you know how hard do you work what do you do when you're at work how do you interact with people you work with whether you're in school or whether you're in the workforce obviously because it's a chance to evangelize work hard without complaint minding your own business getting your job done All right so that is chapter four verses 1 through 12 a lot there uh, so next week we'll finish chapter four. Um, and we're probably going to get through a good chunk of chapter five because the last part of chapter four isn't too long, uh, but it's something we want to zoom in on without being rushed. So once again, thank you for joining us with Catholic with Bibles. My name is Chase. I'll see you next time. Once again, y'all, thank you so much for joining me with Catholics with Bibles. My name is Chase. If you enjoy this Bible study, if you enjoy this podcast, give us a like, give us a share, give us a review, talk about us with your friends, family, and we'll see you next time. God bless.